Hello? Can you see me back there? I hope, I hope someone can see me. And to you all out there in the YouTube lands, I hope you can see me as well. Welcome to church. Thanks for joining us. We are trying our, it's about our 14th different way we've tried uh, streaming. This one is with, uh, with Ian, our, our tech guy on vacation, so that's great. But I think it's working, and we are so glad that you are watching this, and, and we hope you had a great Christmas. And uh, I just want to say welcome. Welcome to church. Uh, and I'm hoping that you're sitting with a cup of coffee in your, in your PJs, comfy for church here, or if, if you wanted to get dressed up, that's great too. But um, welcome. Welcome to LifeBridge. Thank you for being here with us. Just a couple quick announcements as we get started today. The first one, I want to tell you about my LifeBridge. My LifeBridge is, is sort of our hub that you can use for uh, staying, staying connected with what we're doing. So you can find sermon notes there. You can track along with the audio devotional, which we put out every single day, um, every single weekday there. The, our upcoming events, online giving, signing up uh, for email and text updates, you can do there as well. It's just a great way to uh, stay connected. So you can go to our website and then find My Life Bridge, and you can save that on your home screen. It functions kind of like an app that way. So please do uh, uh, figure out My Life Bridge, and, and that way you can, you can keep up to date with what we're doing. We want to thank you for your giving, for your support as we're getting near the end of the year. I'm going to talk just a little bit today about, about what, we're, what we're working on and in terms of our giving goal. But there's, uh, the easiest way to give is online, lifebridge.church forward slash give. We also have Venmo. And then, uh, you know, there's giving boxes here at church. So if you are more of a check person, you can uh, swing by sometime this week and drop it off if that's your preference. But we thank you for supporting our mission. As we're, as we're getting close to the end of 2020 here, uh, we have, we've been doing a, a December generosity push. Our goal is, is $70,000 for the month of December. And what that, what that does is it, it covers our normal costs of, of about $35,000 for the month, just our normal, you know, keeping the lights on um, and, and, and payroll and all that stuff. But we're also trying to set aside $35,000 to give to the Hulu House, which is our, our, our new ministry partner in South Africa that we've been talking about so much that we're very excited about. 10000 for Gather and Give, which is our local partnerships, and then our COVID Needs Fund. As we get into 2021, we're anticipating there's going to be people who are feeling the financial effects of, of what this year has, has sort of um, meant and what it'll mean for jobs in the economy. So we want to be prepared for that, be prepared to step up and help meet uh, the, the financial needs that exist within our community. So we're trying to raise that additional, that additional money for that. There's only a few days left. We still have a ways to go, so we do need your help. And we're asking you to get involved by going to lifebridge.church forward slash give and help us reach our December goal. And again, um, this, is, this is so that we can continue to do ministry. 2020 is coming to a close. Uh, many of us are very excited about that. And we, do, we are very excited about next year and where we're going as a church. And we want to finish this year strong financially so we can be ready to better serve and disciple and minister next year. With that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite up Pastor John. He's going to preach today. Jesus, thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for Christmas, Lord, and thank you for sending Jesus, God, for sending your son Jesus to earth. Lord, as, as, we, as we gather today and, and, we, and we learn about that and we, and we reflect on that, God, I pray that you would draw our hearts closer to you. Help us to focus on you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please welcome up Pastor John Adams. Big round of applause. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. Okay. Thanks, band. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, I was just uh, 
just joking with those, just joking with the band. Uh, I just wanted to say that. Um, but we, <laughs> everybody watching at home, I want you guys to at least have minimum of three devices plugged into the YouTube channel so that we can really increase our viewership. We want to get, we want our views to go way up and skyrocket. So three devices per household minimum. All right? Got it? Good. That was funny. I'm assuming you're laughing. Okay. I won't be making jokes. Well, since we're so close to Christmas, we're going to continue with our series uh, on the incarnation and um, what it means that Jesus Christ came to live among us and focusing on incarnational living. So uh, our, our campaign, remember, is called Among Us. And for this is the last week, we're going to be talking about the incarnation, talking about how Jesus came to live among us. And then next week, we're going to launch into uh, a series on the church. We're going to go through, starting in Hebrews 12, um, and talk through what it means to be among us as the church. So, uh, we fully get the irony of this, of the Among Us series while we're doing digital services occasionally, um, but this is a value that we do hold dear, is our church community being together and people um, living in community, incarnationally with one another. So this incarnational living idea is one we've been talking about for a few weeks, but again, the idea here is to take Jesus' incarnation and what he did in coming to earth as our model for ministry. So we want to look at what Jesus did, and we want to mimic that and follow his lead and how we should be ministering, discipling one another, and reaching out to our community. And the phrase that we're using is incarnational living for this. So just like Jesus was incarnated and came to earth, we should be incarnate in our communities with others. And we've been talking about what this means throughout this series. We talked about location, how Jesus came here, so we should go to hurting people. We talked about time, how Jesus spent time here. He lived here among us for roughly 33 years uh, and showed us who God is. So we should go to people. We should spend time with people. We talked about how discipleship is essentially time spent together uh, following Christ. Um, last week, we talked about compassion and how we should have compassion, this deep feeling of pain within us for others, empathizing with one another in our communities. Um, so, John 1.14 is kind of our text. It is, well, and today we're going to talk about humility and how we should have humility like Jesus had humility. John 1.14 is our text. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, again, is Jesus. He came, he became flesh, he took on human form, and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's kind of the, the primary text on the incarnation that John mentioned. We're going to the other one today. We're going to be in Philippians 2 today. Paul's writing a letter to the Philippian church. This is kind of a general letter where he's just kind of saying, hi, he's, he's going through some details about why he's doing what he's doing. He's sending someone back to them, thanking them for the gift, all of that stuff. It's just kind of a general letter of encouragement to the church. And he has a lot of positive things to say about the church in Philippi. This is a church that he planted and a church that was apparently doing really well. But even in the midst of his encouragement, he sends them a bit of a challenge to continue living incarnationally like Christ was incarnated. So 
here's with that in mind, um, and, and, and in this text, in the beginning in chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 5, but the first four verses of chapter 2, Paul is telling them to, to have the same mindset as Christ. He says, basically, if you value Jesus, if you value your relationship with him and what he has done for you, if you value your community, you'll have this mind of Christ. And in fact, you have this because you are in Christ. So then he says, you should be humble like Jesus is humble and consider others above yourself is his primary driving point here. And we'll look at this text more in detail throughout the devotional this week. But he says, beginning in verse five, have this mind among yourselves. That, that phrase, among yourselves, among uh, that's like our series, right? Have this mind in your community, in your church community. This was written to the church in Philippi, so his focus is on their church community. So he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase that is so cool. He says, you have this mind, this mindset, this way of living if you are in Christ Jesus. If Jesus is everything to you, if he is your savior, if you value and cherish your relationship with him, this is the mind that we have. And then he goes on to describe what he's talking about. Who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, that means though he has the nature of God, that he is divine in his essence, in his basic nature, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, now we'll go through this in the, in the devotional more, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. Basically, this is a difficult word to translate. It's the only time this word appears in the New Testament, so it, it's kind of, it's tough to translate in this context, especially where it seems a bit strange. There's some things that Paul is doing here, but basically what it means is that he didn't cling to it at all costs, or that there are certain things here that Paul is referencing that he didn't cling to at all costs, that he didn't take and use for his own advantage. What we're going to see is he was willing to give some of these things up, and we'll talk about what those things are next. So he was willing to let it go. Verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Okay, so what he means here by emptying himself, if that John 1.14 text means anything, that Jesus is God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If he is God incarnate with us, he didn't empty himself of his divine nature. He still maintained his divine nature. So what did he empty himself of? He emptied himself of some of the privileges, the prestige, the honor, the glory that are due him as God when he took on human form. He gave those things up when he became man. So he's still fully divine in nature, but he gave some of these things up when he became man. I know this is a big, like, lofty theological <laughs> conversation. Um, and as we're doing in this series, we're going to look at the theology of the incarnation, and then we'll look at an example of Jesus' life. And Paul's point here is primarily to say, hey, church in Philippi, if you have certain rights that come with your status or your position in the culture and the community of the church, what he's saying is that you should be willing to lay aside some of those privileges for the betterment of your Christian community, that you shouldn't lord those things over others in your church and expect them to, to follow and adhere to those privileges that you have in the rest of the culture. So, Let's finish reading this. He said, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So what Paul's doing here is outlining the humility of Jesus, saying, as if the, the divine taking on human form, becoming man, emptying himself of some of these privileges of divinity isn't humbling enough, he went further. He continued to descend the ladder of humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So Jesus, God in flesh, humbled himself enough to die. One of his privileges as divinity is he shouldn't have to face death, but he does. And not only death, but death on a cross, which death on a cross in the Roman culture was one of the most humiliating experiences, not only for him, but for his entire family and everyone who followed him. So Jesus, his humility just kept going. So now let's look at an example of Jesus' life where we see his humility on full display. I love this story because it just seems so real. This is exactly what I would expect to happen when you've got a group of 12 people just following, more, obviously, more following Jesus around everywhere, living uh, together and eating together, doing everything in their life together. This is precisely the thing you tend to expect. It's a little strange, but I love this story so much. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. So I think this is the only time that she has mentioned why she's following them. I don't know if Jesus is just in their hometown. Who knows? But she gets her two sons. This is James and John. And they go to, and they go to Jesus with a request. And they kneel down before him and they ask a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So what she's asking for is that James and John would have the positions of honor and prestige and power and influence when Jesus establishes his kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? What he means is, can you suffer the way I am going to suffer? We can, they answered. And in the context, in the previous section, Jesus has just said how he is going to be handed over to the rulers in Jerusalem, that he's going to be crucified, and he's going to be killed. So that's, they have in mind what, what Jesus is talking about here. They know he's talking about that kind of death. And, and they say, yes, we can. They answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Notice he says, drink from my cup. Right? That he is going, they're, they're, they're not going to drink the fullness of the cup that Jesus has. Right? When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays that this cup would be removed from him, that his suffering would be removed. Jesus is taking uh, an incredible amount of suffering upon himself when he dies on the cross, not only physical suffering, but in the sin of the world. So they will experience it to some degree, what he's saying here, that they will, they will experience suffering. He's referring to the, the manner in which they will die, that they will be persecuted after Jesus leaves. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So it's already been established who is sitting at the right and the left of Jesus in his new kingdom, those positions of honor and prestige. Those are not for him to grant. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Understandable, right? I, I love to think about how that conversation went. Like, Come on, man. What are you guys doing? Oh, it's just so real. These guys are all upset with each other. And 
It's going to happen, right? I'd be upset too. What the heck, dude? Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And this is my favorite. This is the one line that has jumped out to me this week especially. Not so with you. Okay, not so with you. He says that this is the way leadership is in the culture, in the Gentiles, in the Jewish mind. There's, there's the Jews and there's everybody else. There's the Gentiles and they can constitute all of the other nations outside of Judaism. Not so with you. He says they, their leaders lord it over them. They exercise authority, power, and control over everybody else. They're domineering. Not you. He says this is not the way it's going to be in my community that he is establishing. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. He says, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Again, he starts with the word servant, and then he emphasizes it even further by saying that if you want to be first, you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what we see here in this powerful, beautiful line that Jesus says, emphasizing his humility, what we see in this line is him using his incarnation as a model, as an example, again, for how the church should function. So their leadership should be modeled and based on Jesus' leadership in their church. The Son of Man, Jesus' uh, favorite name for himself, he did not come to be served, but to serve. If anyone had the right to come and be served, it was Jesus. It was God. God, the second person of the Trinity in flesh, he had the right. He was the only one who was worthy of worship. He had every right to come and exercise his privilege as divinity and demand worship from everybody and to attain that worship through power and force. But he didn't. Instead, Jesus came to be served. Or instead, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And even to give his life as a ransom for many. To die. To pay the ransom price for our freedom. Our freedom from our sin and our freedom from the wrath of God. Jesus came as our humble servant leader. And so we should model his servant leadership is what he is saying here. Instead of striving to attain the positions of honor and power, we should simply serve one another. Here's our big idea for following the way of Jesus. Humility and service should characterize our lives. As Paul said in Philippians 2, that we should have this mind among us, that we should be humble like Jesus, that we should consider others above ourselves and love one another and care for one another. And as he says in Matthew 20, that we should serve each other. Leaders should serve. So, a couple things that this means. Number one, 
This Christmas season, uh, I hope you've already done this, but I hope you continue to do this today, that we would ponder the humility of Jesus in the incarnation. Um, When we think about what Paul says here, when we consider that Jesus had the right to come and to be worshipped, but he came and he served and he gave his life as a ransom. How he humbled himself, not only by being made man and taking on human form, but to death. And not only death, but to death on a cross. I hope this Christmas season and every Christmas season you spend time reflecting on this. Spend time reflecting on the humility of Jesus. We, I know we can't fully grasp what it means for God to be made man, to give up those privileges that he had as God. I know we can't fully grasp that, but every Christmas season we should think about it. We should spend time in our, in our quiet times of worship and prayer reflecting on the humility of Jesus in the incarnation. And when we do so, the only appropriate response is thanksgiving and praise. To worship him and to praise him for his humility. And to thank him for his willingness to give that up and to come. I think when we get this, we have to start here again. We have to start here with the theology of this. And we have to try to get our minds around the humility of Jesus and how he came and died for us. In order for us to be humble and to put others above ourselves. So we have to start here. We have to start with worship. We have to start with thanksgiving. Then next, for living like Jesus, with humility and service being a major part of our lives, we should consider what privileges we have that we should give up for others. You should consider what privileges you have that you should give up for others. Remember the Philippians 2 text? That's Paul's point. Jesus was willing to give up all of his privilege, a lot of, not all of, a lot of his privileges as divinity to come and be made man and to die for us. He had every right to hold on to those privileges and to stay in God's space with God, the Father, forever, but he was willing to give them up to come. And Paul's main point is that we should be willing to do the same for one another doesn't say that you should give up your essence, or Jesus' essence as divinity, or that we have to give up our position, but perhaps some of the privileges that come with that position. And to be totally honest with you guys, I think, I think this is the way forward for the church in our culture, is the church has to live this out. The church, especially in our culture here in Burlington, we must live this out. We must Live the gospel. I believe it's in Philippians 1.27, so just a few verses prior to the verses that we read. Are, yeah, it's in Philippians 1.27 that Paul says that our lives, we should live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. If I could stitch like one thing on the inside of your eyelids, I would do that. So that you see that. Every time you blink, every time you close your eyes at night, and you're reflecting on, is my life that I am living worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are my actions, are my thoughts, my behaviors, is everything worthy of this gospel? We should strive for that. So I think a long time in American culture, in American church culture, there's been this implied message that 
American Christians, they don't want to hear. They just don't, we don't want to say it. And we don't even want to think about it most of the time. Some pastors like David Platt, David Francis Chan, David Platt's book, uh, Radical. They've been trying to call our attention to this, that, that there's, there's a problem in American Christianity, or I should say, in a lot of uh, church cultures, a lot of middle-class to upper-class church cultures. They've been trying to call our attention to this. And the message is that you can have the kingdom of God, you can have everything with the American dream. Which is true. You can have them. But I think we never stop to ask, should we? Should we? You can do the bare minimum to get into the kingdom of heaven, to be saved, to be right with God. But that's not, is that the life Jesus calls us to? Is that what we should do? And we look at texts like Philippians 2 and Matthew 20, we see Jesus living a completely different life than that. A life that is not self-gratifying. Yes, you have the right to save all of your money and to spend it on yourself and your family and build bigger barns or houses. That was, Jesus told a story about building bigger barns and what tends to happen there. That was my cheesy pastor moment. Um, but should you? Should you do that? Should you build? That's a question for you. You have the right to make every decision that maximizes your safety and security of your family and all of your assets. But should you? You do have the right to shower your kids with as many gifts as you can afford and even go into debt. But should you? The gospel, the example of Jesus, calls us to a higher standard than just doing the bare minimum to get good with God and to get in to heaven. Now, these aren't mandates that I'm putting on you. Okay, Nobody's going to tell you that you need to do all of these things. In Acts 15, when the apostles are writing a letter to... Uh, the believers in Gentile territories of what they should do in regards to eating food, sacrifice to idols, and other things like that, the cleanliness and laws of the Old Testament. What they say is, this seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. I love that line so much, especially in matters like this and when we're considering what privileges we should give up for others. I think that is how we should approach this, is you spending time with God in prayer fasting, repenting, just spending time with him and then deciding what seems good to you and to the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Spirit in matters like this, of what privileges that we should give up for others. Because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that should drive our decisions. Not solely personal comfort, security, and a commitment to the American dream. Now, I know, I could, I could spend a bunch of time nuancing this and saying, but in this circumstance or in this circumstance, I get it, okay? That's why I said, spend time with the Holy Spirit on this and to, to pray and reflect on what God may be calling you 
to sacrifice and to give up for the benefit of others. Because if I spend all my time nuancing it, it loses all its force, right? And then next, consider who you're following and why. That text in Matthew 20 is so powerful, talking about the humility of Jesus and him calling his community, his disciples and the church that he, they will start, calling them to a different form of leadership, a leadership that is based in service and humility. Now, I realize that I'm talking about John and I here as <laughs> pastors, so this gets a little bit awkward, but I think it's a super important message that we need to think on that John and I have in the back of our minds all the time. John mentioned this to me the other day, that five of the, that of the five like primary pastors, leaders, influencers that he was listening to when we planted the church um, six years ago, only two of them are left. And we talked through them. Many of them were disqualified from ministry because of serious moral failures or just some things that they had done. So as I was thinking through this sermon, I expanded it out to 10. Like my 10, the 10 guys that I listened to the most when we planted the church and was influenced the most by. Of those 10 guys, uh, it's 50-50. Five are still in and five have been disqualified for some one reason or another. Now, what we tend to do is think about that and say, oh, it, it's, it was their fault. It was those guys. They had the serious moral failing. That was on them. And of course, they bear a lot of the blame as well. But, but what about the culture that drove them to it? Is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. What are we looking for in leaders? What do we look up to in spiritual leaders? In American culture, for a while, it's been things like charisma. Can they draw a big crowd? Are they an engaging speaker? Are they attractive physically? Do they have a big church built already? Are they brilliant? Are they super funny? Do they have business savvy? Those have been the markers of a good spiritual leader in much of American Christianity. The problem is you just don't see a lot of that in the New Testament. You don't see a lot of that in the Gospels of what Jesus is calling his followers to. And in the Matthew 20 text, he tends to call them to humility, to service, compassion. What about love for God? What about love for neighbor? Kindness, gentleness, self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit. Why aren't we looking for those things in our Christian leaders? So my encouragement to us as the church is to lift up those people who exemplify humility, service, compassion. The problem is, and I've, <laughs> I've talked, I, I, in seminary, I talked to a lot of aspiring pastors, right? When everybody talks about what they want their church to look like, nobody says, a few people that they're humbly loving and serving, right? 
But the problem is that there's a lot of guys who get into ministry, and ladies, who get into ministry with all the right intentions and aspirations. But then they realize that their congregation is demanding them to be all of those things. The things like charismatic, drawing a crowd, engaging speaker, attractive, all of that stuff. Super funny. And then they have three options, I think. Those guys, they, if they have that, this humble servant leadership mindset when they come into a church and their church is demanding all of those things of them, they either get frustrated and burn out pretty quickly or they don't cave to those demands and eventually their church doesn't grow and they get fired. And this is worst of all. I think sometimes they do cave to those demands and they begin to change their persona to be more attractive, to be more appealing, to preach messages that are easy to listen to and make listeners feel good at the expense of truth. They, they resist uh, the, the more difficult duties that they have and the things that actually do humble them. And then many of them, what we're seeing is they cave under the pressure that is placed on them. And again, of course, they're not absolved of all the blame, but there's something to that culture of what we're expecting from our Christian leaders. So I think we need to at least consider that. What are we looking for in our leaders? Is it based on the things that Jesus taught us and the things that he called us to and his ways and his life, or is it something else? Because, guys, this is really prevalent in our culture. I was super bummed out to hear, talk to somebody who was on staff at this church a while ago, but a church whose megachurch pastor had a serious moral failing, and he resigned a few years ago. They, they recently hired a new pastor, and they hired a pastor who had the exact same persona, the, the CEO type with little shepherding theological pastoral giftings. That's a cultural problem at that point. That becomes a problem of what we're expecting from our church leaders. Ben, don't you guys come on up and get set up. So humility, service, that's what John and I are aspiring to. Consider what privileges you have that you should give up for others. Again, I think this is the way forward for the church, that we have to live a life that is in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must, to do so, spend time reflecting and pondering the humility of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Would you pray with me? Lord, Jesus, you called us to a higher standard of living, to a standard of living, Lord, that is humble, is sacrificial, is loving, is kind. Lord, I pray that you would inspire us to that, that your spirit would guide us in these decisions, that, Lord, you would convict us, and, Lord, you would call us to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for our humility. I pray for our determination and willingness to do those things, Lord. To follow your lead, Jesus, as you were incarnated, as you humbled yourself, that we would humble ourselves. And Lord, love one another in the process. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.